been working on something that I, I want to take my time with. And this may take a couple weeks, maybe a couple years, but we'll work at it. But let's, let's take a look at this Christian growth chart. Now, God has a plan for our life when we are born again, when we are born into Jesus Christ. That plan is for us to grow and mature, to go from milk to meat, uh, from adolescence to maturity, unto the full stature of Christ. And this is the process we are all going through. And it's a very positive, healthy growth that God would have us to walk in. And so what I want to do is I've identified five growth stages, and I want to walk through them. Now, some of you might identify with a particular growth stage that you're in. Um, Some of you might find that, well, I don't need this. Uh, I'm where I need to be and I'm growing fine. Well, then take this and learn it so you can begin to mentor other people in their growth rate as a believer. We should all be caring and mentoring for people we work with and around us, help disciple them in their growth. So I want to show you these different stages. What we'll do is we'll do a major overview of this whole thing tonight, and I think then over the next couple weeks we'll go into detail into each stage so that we can help people develop in their Christianity. All right, let's uh, ask the Lord for help here. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would begin to illuminate this process and bear witness by the Spirit within us so it would confirm our growth, and Father, show us the potential uh, of what you have for us. Give us hope and strength in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at stage one. Stage one is identification. What do I mean by identification? For In order for you to be saved or born again, you need to come into a place of identification. All right? That identification comes when you realize that there is a God, okay? And you identify God. And whenever you identify God, He makes sure to identify you, okay? Even to come into the concept that there is a God makes you a creature. Even at that identification, there, there is a, a difference between you and that God, whoever that God is, Right? You are lesser than that God because by definition a God is greater than you are. And so right there, identification begins to take place. Now, uh, a lot of people in our society have tried to eliminate that, right? They, they want to get rid of God so they don't have to identify themselves as something less than God. So what they do is say, I am God. You're God. We are all gods. Okay, so that there's no lesser of the, of the two. So, Identification is key because when you identify God, then you begin to identify yourself. And there's a crisis that takes place when we recognize that there is a God who is above us, who is greater than us, who is holy and other than us. The crisis comes when we recognize we are less and we have failed that God, and so we are now identified as sinners. So this is how we come into salvation is through identification. Okay, And so a lot of times, instead of witnessing to people and trying to convince people, just identify them. 
help them identify themselves. And a lot of times, help them identify who God is. It will help them identify who they, they are. And then you can help them in that identification. Sometimes we, I like to change it up because we have such a, a rote way of dealing with people all the same all the time. And so if you approach people, just they have an identity crisis. How many of you know that most people have an identity crisis? They don't know who they are. And so you begin with very simple steps to identify that there is a God and they are not. And if they are not, that they have fallen short of God. Now, what is wonderful, according to Romans 6, is that in this first step of identification, we identify ourselves as sinners. If we identify ourselves as sinners, we can then identify a Savior. And so this first stage of growth is identifying things. You're waking up. It's like a baby identifying, this must be mother. This must be father. You begin, I must be in my house. You begin to identify, this is a sister, this is a brother, this is happy, this is not happy. Food, identify, need, love, got to have it. You see what I'm saying? You're beginning to identify reality. There's a whole new reality you're coming into. Now, Romans 6 says that we are to identify ourselves in Christ at the cross. Because he's the Savior who died for our sin, therefore I must accept what he did on the cross for my salvation. And I identify that Jesus died for me. And if I am identified in his crucifixion and his death, I will then be identified in his resurrection. You take on a new identity. So this process of identification is the process of taking on a new identity. I was once lost, now I am found. I was once in darkness, now I'm in light. These are all identifications. I was once in Adam, now I am identified in Christ. I was once identified as a sinner, now I am identified as a saint. What, are you afraid to say it? I, I think you're, you're, you're waiting to die and perform a number of miracles before you'll be called a saint. The Bible calls every believer a saint, a righteous one. It's not because you earned it or worked towards it. Romans 6 says it is the gift of righteousness. It was given to you at your birth. The minute you were born by God's Spirit at salvation, you were given the gift of rightness, right standing with God. And the term for someone who is in right standing with God is what? A saint, a sanctified one. Okay, so see, I'm helping identify you. Some of you don't. Now, this is an issue, folks. There are some folks who don't want to identify themselves as to who they fully are in Christ Jesus. You don't think you're worthy. Of course you're not worthy. That's the whole process of identification. You were not worthy. He, by his grace, he made you worthy through his blood. All right? We might have to stay at stage one for a while. Let's try this again for identification. I was a sinner, and now I'm identified as a saint. Now, that's how he sees you. That's how God identifies you. Okay? Once I was a child of the devil, now I'm a child of God. That's your identification. So the first stage is discovering these identities, this identifying. 
And so I'm lingering too long in one spot. Now, what happens when we're in this stage of identification, and guess what else we begin to identify? We found out we were a sinner. So, He puts His Spirit of holiness in us. Now, you put holiness in a vessel that's got patterns and behaviors that are not as holy as that Spirit is, what do you begin to identify? Sin. I got, there's problems in here. See, the whole first stage of Christian growth is identifying our fallenness, our sinfulness. And could I also tell you something? Through all five stages, as the closer you get to the Lord, you're going to continue to find out, oh, what a wretch am I? Your, your love and adoration for God will always increase because the closer you get to a holy God, the more you recognize the grace that was given unto you. So, so it's that continued identification. So it's a struggle when we first get saved. But God is so gracious to give us that salvation, we get euphoric until the rubber meets the road and you're falling on your face. Does anybody remember that? Okay. All right, so there's a lot of identification going on in this first stage of Christianity. We need to be there for people in this first stage. And I'm recognizing that we really need to be there because a lot of people get saved and we go, hey, you're saved. This is great. Hallelujah. Here, read the Bible. Learn. And they're struggling. Did anybody struggle at the beginning? Okay. Because all this identification is coming up and you don't know what to do with it. And so we've got to watch. You're finding one of the first things you need to begin to find is your daily cross. We love to read the daily bread. I want someone to write a devotional called Your Daily Cross. In other words, what you daily have to die to. I I love encouragement. The daily bread's a great encouragement, great thing. But what we begin to develop as we're growing in this first stage is every day I've got to die to myself. I'm not used to this. I used to run the show here. And I didn't do that great of a job, but I wasn't on my case all the time. But now there's a spirit of holiness who's convicting me. All right, so you're finding your daily cross. This is tough. You're finding you need to develop new disciplines in your life and commit yourself to Christ. You're finding new relationships. So what I want to do is take you through these stages. Uh, Actually, I was in stage two, sorry. Uh, Wonder, awe, thankfulness, new eyes to see. Now here's the thing. The dangers of identification is this, immature decisions and zealousness. Anybody remember that? You just get saved. You're ready to sell my house, sell my car. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to make this decision, that. You're, You're young in the Lord and your understanding of things. Some of you are really overzealous. Is there really any, can you be overzealous? Can you be over-loving to God? No, not really, but we kind of sometimes don't use wisdom in our, in our zealousness of identification. I'm saved, hallelujah, now everybody wants to get saved. Come on, you try and save everybody, and they think you're nuts. And so you've got to work with it. Now, that's stage one, is identification. And Jesus did this when he witnessed to people. He would try to get them to identify themselves at, at, in sin and identify what they needed from him and identify who he is 
That was the process he worked with. Now, let's take a quick look at uh, stage two. The walk. Now you've got to develop a walk. You've been identified. You've been born again. You're beginning to identify flesh issues, sin issues. Now you need to start walking. Sounds like a little baby, right? And that's how we need to treat each other. We need to coddle the newborn babes. We need to help them, feed them, give them the milk, and so forth. And then it's time for them to walk. And so you begin to learn the walk. And what I think of when I go into this is I remember what Jesus said to the man who was paralytic and he raised him up and lifted him up and then he healed him and what did he say to that man by the pool tick yeah pick up your mat and walk go pick up your mat that's an interesting thing we'll get into that another time (laughs) but what he's saying is pick up your life but approach it in a new way You're not going to need to lay on that mat anymore. And don't let anybody else lay on it. Pick it up. I don't know what he meant for him to do with it. Throw it out? We'll look into that later. But when he says in the second stage, pick up your mat and walk. It's time to begin walking. That's where I was supposed to have finding your daily cross. We begin to walk. We need to start with our daily cross. We need to develop new disciplines. We need to find new family members. So that's the walk. The identity now the walk. Now, let's take a look at some of the dangers in stage two. Going back to the familiar or going into legalism. It's a crucial time. Stage two is a real crucial time because you want to develop a walk for your Christianity. You want to develop a life, right? Now, what happens is if you get scared, if you get alone, if you're nervous, you can easily go back to the familiar, Let's, let's get a, how many of you, when you got saved, went back to the familiar? Same old friends, same old lifestyle, right? You got saved, but now you're just saved and getting high. And so you're seeing Jesus in a brand new, beautiful way. <laughs> right? But, but, Do you know what I'm talking about? Going back to that familiar. There's a lot of folks, if they're not strengthened by believers and find a welcome place in, they can easily go back to the familiar. So we've got to create an atmosphere of belonging. You've heard this before. Okay. Now, what's the other problem? Someone begins a walk. They get really excited. They want to make sure they're following Jesus, do their best. They're overachievers. So they begin to set up a system of, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can do this, I can't do that. And it's very easy to get into a place of legalism, not based on relationship to the Lord, but just based on law so I don't make them mad. Okay? And so they develop a walk that's very rigid, very secure, very safe, very pharisaical, and that's a danger too. We have to build a walk based on relationship with Christ. Not, and some of you, some of those old relationships you're going to have to cut off because the familiar is getting you in trouble. You need to leave them. And some of you have to watch out that you've become so stringent and so tight that you've alienated everybody. And so we've got to find that place where we are walking with Jesus. And this is a problem. You've got to find a good church where you can do that. All right? It's relationship, not rules. 
We're loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and body. Not loving rules and regulations, loving God. You see the difference? All right, so stage two is the walk. Stage one is identifying it. Stage two is beginning to walk in it. Now, in Christian growth, you're developing this. This could take 10 years. This could take 10 months. It's different in everybody's life. And there's no line you cross when it's like, I'm in stage three now. This is just a general sense of where you're moving and going. And again, in each person, if you don't work on your Christianity, there's people who have been saved for 10 years and they're still not even really walking with the Lord. They're just finding their way, doing their thing, and they're stalling the growth progress in their life. And that's all based on your personal desire and zeal to grow and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But the third level now is a productive life. As you begin to walk in Christ, you're beginning to produce the essence of Christ, the nature of God, in you. It's beginning to move in you and develop in you. You begin to pray. How about that? And your prayers have gone from, I need this, I need that, do this for me, do that for me, to beginning to pray, Father God, would you move for these people? Would you heal these folks? Father, I'm praying for these folks that you would intercede and care for them. I know your love, God, and I'm praying that you'll touch that life. You're growing to produce fruit, not consume. Instead of consuming everything in your Christian walk for you, you're now beginning to produce fruit in prayer you're now beginning to study the word of god it becomes enriching Uh, you've moved beyond just getting the information because when you just got identified in christ and you began to walk in christ you have to learn of him and so a lot of your bible studies just learning i never knew that there were 12 disciples i never knew that one of them betrayed him did you know this right and you're going, Paul, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is amazing. And there's kings in the Old Testament. You're learning the walk. But now in pro- being productive in this stage of your Bible study, you're beginning to take in and you're beginning to hear the Holy Spirit apply this to you. You're beginning to see some depth of knowledge and revelation in the Word of God that's more than just historical information. It has power. That may have been happening in phase two of walking with Christ, but now it's becoming more uh, effective. Now you're beginning to walk in discipleship. You're loving the Lord your God. You're treating others as your neighbor. You're beginning to follow the teachings of Christ, know the teachings of Christ, and consider yourself a disciple. That you're going to decide to do things for Christ because you love Him and follow after Him. You'll begin to balance out the spirit and truth. You'll begin to recognize that you need to stay in the word of God and that you need to know and soak in the Holy Spirit. And that there's a balance between them that gives you a healthy balance to keep you from being so liberal or so legal. And the present word of the Lord by the Holy Spirit keeps you on balance and the logos of the word of God keeps you balanced and and so there's a productive life now what's the dangers of this stage pride because you begin to see what you're producing you're beginning to see fruit producing 
This is cool. I led someone to the Lord. I shared a Bible study uh, with someone and they got saved. Uh, They're asking me questions now because I've got answers. And it's easy to move into pride because you're maturing more than others in some places. And so pride can come in, so that's a danger at a very productive place. How many of you know that productivity, when you begin to have abundance, you've got to watch your heart? When you begin to produce, you've got to watch. Now here's another danger of stage three of a productive life, is that you can overwork yourself. You begin to be so productive that it's all about your achievements and your works and you're overworking because you've got to do this because you're the one who can do it and no one else can do it as good as you. And you're working day and night, burning the candle at both ends. You've heard that before, right? And you're so zealous for the things of God, you can grow weary in well-doing by overworking the works of God. Remember, who invented the Sabbath? God did. Rest. God's in control, not you. He'll get the work done. So in this stage, you're a very productive person and you develop a productive life. So things are good. Stage one, identification, beginning to identify all sorts of things. Stage two, you start the walk. You're walking, finding a crucified life, uh, following after the Lord, uh, growing in your strength and studies. Stage three, you're becoming productive in Christianity. You're producing fruit of the Lord and ministry and all that. And then we can go to stage four. But before we do, let me introduce you to this pleasant event. A faith crisis. We interrupt our normal programming to bring to you a crisis. At any point in your growth chart, you can run into a crisis. Your faith becomes shattered. Basically, it's shattered typically in our faith walk because everything's based on faith, isn't it? And so when our faith or our expectations are disappointed or shattered, we run into a crisis. Now, some people run into a crisis right in stage one with their identification. Some people run into a crisis at stage two in their walk. Some people run into a crisis at stage three as they're producing fruit in life. Uh, You'll run into a crisis probably every stage you're at. Now, this is what happens to us. We typically have expectations of people and people fail us and it creates a real hurt and a wound has anybody ever had that happen to them anybody anybody here right i'll go into that in greater detail in another week but but when you depend on people and look to people and of course christians are great people christians are like jesus that's why they're called christians And so we have that expectation of everybody else because they're like Jesus. I expect them to be honest. I expect them to be truthful. I expect them to be faithful. I expect them never to lie to me. And I expect, shouldn't we? Because that's what they're supposed to be. Now when it comes to me, I've got grace. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But them, they're a pastor. They're a teacher. They're a friend. How could they have done this to me? Creates a crisis. Someone may have stabbed you in the back. How about expectations with God? 
You were taught to pray this and this and this, and it didn't happen. Where are you, God? I've had expectations. I put my faith in you, and you let me down. Crisis, warning, danger, growth, stunted, stopping. I'm getting off the road right here, pulling off the road, taking a break, because I don't get it. I don't even know if I can trust him. expectations of church can't find a good church these people drive me nuts right they don't care about me they're not paying attention to me they're giving me bad information i had better expectations and i'm wounded and hurt we any one of these can wound and hurt us and then let's throw the other one in too expectations of self i'm such a loser I can't accomplish anything for God. I know I'm saved, but I'm just the token guy that got saved because the rest of the group got in. He has to. He's obligated to save me, though he doesn't want to. I've counseled folks like this. And there might be more in the audience, too. Where you just know, well, God, you know, he made this deal, he has to do it. So, how many of you have been disappointed with yourself Faith crisis. Okay, so this can come in the growth at any time. Now, I didn't even introduce to you an enemy that is prowling after you through this whole process, too. We haven't even talked about that. This is not an easy thing to be done. But what I'm really trying to focus on is what the Spirit is doing in your life. This is His project. You're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to be productive. So He is making you grow. Now, here's the amazing thing about God with faith crisis. There's a danger in it, and that is you can get backslidden. What do I mean by backslidden? Stubborn and rebellious. That's what a backslider is. A backslider is not someone who's lost their salvation. A biblical definition of a backslider is someone who is rebellious to God. Why do I say that they haven't lost their salvation? Because God said he's married to the backslider. And he describes the backslider not as someone who's slipping back in sin, but a backslider, uh, according to Scripture, is someone who digs their heels in and is resisting, pulling, as God's pulling them, they're digging in and going back. They're sliding their feet back from the pull of God forward. That's a backslider. Okay? And they're rebellious. And so when you've been hurt and wounded and you feel perfectly justified to be in the wound and the hurt and the misery you're in, God will try to woo you by His love, win you by His love. But doggone it, you're not moving till you get some answers. Hey, we all go through it. We all go through this process. Now, here's what I love about God. Crisis always provides new direction. It causes us to evaluate what has not been working so that now we can find a new way of living. You entered into a crisis because something wasn't working right. Something was failing and the crisis shows us that that was askew. 
and a lot of times, and it may take a lot of years between, but God won't give up on us. That's what's amazing about the Lord. He won't give up on us. And, and so we have opinions, but what God finally will bring is, an, is a revelation and a new understanding. I had this wrong. I expected this and I expected that, or I was hurt and I was wounded, and the expectations are now changed because God has used that crisis to mature you and raise you up so that you'll move on to step four. Step four is another level of growth in God. It's dependence. You've had a few crises. (laughs) Now you are ready to give your life up completely for God because you recognize, again, as you're drawing more mature to God, you begin to recognize, I can't do anything on my own at all. I'm going to become so fully dependent on God because it's not my way, it's His way. You, be, you live the exchange life. I like what Hudson Taylor said. He says this, I used to God, ask God to help me. That's stage two, the walk. Then I asked if I might help Him. That's stage three, the productivity. And here's the dependent life. I ended up asking God to do His work through me. And so we'll get into that later, but that's the sense of an exchange life where you're recognizing it's not all about God help me and it's not all about I can do this for you. It's God work through me, work through us. I'll become available and you do the work. And that is a dependent life on Christ. You're humble enough to know, come on, I'm not much here, but I'll put myself in a place where God can use me. And so it's a combination of faith and His effort through you. That's dependence on God. Last of all, we go to that fifth step, which is sonship. The growth of maturity where you enter into sonship. You begin to really understand what true adoption is in the King. You begin to recognize what Abba Father means. I'll get into that in another week. But we're going to take our time through each one of these growth stages to see that our ultimate place is full maturity to walk and act as a son of God, to understand your authority as a child of God in the earth realm, and to do what you see Father doing, and to obey what Father has commanded you to do, and to stay in honor and worship to God at all times. Now those are the five stages that we're going to take a look at And we're going to walk through your Christian life and help develop and pull and identify those things as you're growing into that. Now, on the other side is a column that you see there. And this takes place through all five of these stages. These things are going on throughout the entire activity of your growth stage as Christ is moving you from a newborn babe of identification of who you are into a walk in Christ, into being productive and then being dependent on Him into the full place of sonship. In all that process, these things are repeating over and over in your life at all times. Because what He's doing is He's transforming you. So he's deconstructing and renewing. What does he have to deconstruct? 
the patterns of this world that were established in us, right? Romans chapter 12, be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind from the patterns of this world. So there's got to be some deconstruction here. So we have got to get rid of, there's a lot of junk in here. How many of you know that? And even while you're saved, you still collect junk. We're hoarders. And we still take things. We take things from Jesus, thank you, Lord, and we'll still pick up things off the ground and chew on them. Spit that out. Still got flavor in it. That's us. That's us. So he's got to deconstruct. Now, this is an interesting process. We're going to spend some time on this. But how does God deconstruct or take out of you patterns that define you and identify you without destroying you? How does he do this work? He does it through truth. The entrance of your word brings light and truth. So he does this by injecting truth serums into us. So that the disease and sickness of the lies we believe will be killed by it. All right? Now, he also has to deliver us. This process is going on and on and on and on. There are some groups of Christians that believe once you are saved, you're clean, you're good, and great to go. We recognize that we're so messed up... (laughs) that there's a lot of deliverance that needs to go on. And deliverance isn't always, you know, your head spinning and contorting and puking out pea soup. That may be part of it. There may be elements and areas in your life that you are so bound by an enemy, you do need that kind of deliverance. But a lot of times there's realms of deliverance because of such woundedness and such lies deep within us that they are being protected by an enemy within us. Uh, If we were fully sanctified, Paul would have never said to renew your mind. And the mind is more than just your brain. All right, we'll get into that some more. Now, what's also happening as you're growing through these stages is God gives us graces in our growth stages. He gives us gifts in this grace time. Uh, Charis is the root word for grace, and it means a gift of God. And there are gifts that He gives you so that you can find what else is your calling, the gifts and callings of the Lord. Now, those change and increase throughout your life. As we heard in the prophecy tonight, I have given you many gifts, and if you want more, you need to use the ones you got, right? So you have gifts by the Lord. He gives all his children gifts. And in this process of growth, he's given you gifts to use. Now he wants to give you greater gifts because his desire is to lead you into greater callings. Some of you he put into a calling of being a mother, Because he wants you to be a ruler of nations in the new millennium. And so he's instructing you on how to to handle your children. So that one day you will learn the fine art of being a national ruler in the new millennium. Are you thinking like this? See, because you're not thinking like this. I know you're not. You're thinking, I hate my kids and I hate my life. (laughs) It's, a, it's all a part. Remember, when did eternal life start for you? Now. You're in it now. Everything you're learning now 
goes there. <laughs> Did you ever think of this? Everything you're learning here is preparation for there, which is the millennial reign of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth. He's training you. He's educating you. And all these little things and tedious things and all this development that's happening in you stays in you. See, but I think what happens, we think that when we get into heaven, we're automatically just perfect. Everything's great. We know everything. I, I, I think that there's a lot that is going on now, as Paul says, is laying up a foundation for the eternal realm. All right, so there's gifts, there's callings, there's revelations and prophetic truths in every one of these stages. Typically, what will shoot you from stage one to two or two to three or three to four is revelations. Prophetic God now speaking to your soul where you're getting something. And it's like, oh my gosh, I get this. <laughs> I recognize this gift. I think God's calling me to do this. And you put faith towards it, and it's like, oh, it's working. <laughs> or he called you out of a funk, called you out of a faith crisis. A word of God came to you. How many of you have ever been brought out of a crisis by a word of revelation? Could have been the simplest little thing, right? And it goes, pshew, and you're going, oh, what have I been doing? And so all of these move in and out of every stage. Repentance and dependence. Oh no, that's at the beginning when you mess up all the time. No, no, no. Now to have a repentant heart, to have a heart. You see, if you have a repentant heart, that is a changed mind. And, and I love this about the Lord's Prayer. When does God want you to repent? Before you even think of sinning. Lead us not into... Oh, there we are. See, where do we sin? Past temptation. We drove right with a Mack truck right into temptation. I'm taking it all. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> into sin. And then we come to the altar. Oh, God. I'm sorry. But he's got a better plan to keep you from even the temptation. See, a repentant heart is so soft towards God that when something appears to be sin, you're already changing your mind on it. And a son of God has that heart. I cannot offend my father, nor can I offend my testimony. Oh, you don't have to worry. You're all alone. I've got a great... We forget about this. We have a great cloud of witnesses around us. What'd you tell me that for? You're never alone. <laughs> Isaiah, did you just see what that guy did? That great cloud of witnesses going, oh. <laughs> just be aware. <laughs> Dependence on God. Last of all, Christ's likeness. This is being developed in us through the whole process from being born in Christ to the time we enter into Christ in our full redemption. I'm not even going to say when we die. Basically, we're just exchanging into a full revelation of Christ. So I wanted to go over this whole thing with you, and now what we're going to do is we're going to break these stages apart so that you can get 
into this. You can digest this. You can begin to under the, understand the construct of what it means to mature in Christ so that you can begin to share this with other people and help them in the process of growing in a mature way, in a patient way, in a kind way, in a shepherding way so that you can help them grow into who they need to become. Does that make sense to you? Amen. Amen. Then let's ask God to help us. Jesus, we take this time tonight for teaching to learn and to grow the process of maturity.